As we open our hearts and our minds up today to your word, to hear your voice through your word, and to open our eyes and our ears, Lord God, we have come to this place with a desire to hear you and see you. Speak to us today, Lord Jesus, and allow me, your servant, to speak the words that you would have me to speak today that would bring life to us. I thank you and I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I had no intention last Sunday when we talked about uh, seeing past the grasshopper mentality and talked about I hate being corny again, but I talked about 2020, the year of seeing. And uh, and then I felt like the Lord just kind of dropped Isaiah 6 in my mind or my spirit during the week. And uh, so I want to talk today about seeing the Lord. And, uh, uh, of course, you see the, the verse we're going to read in a moment on the screen. Obviously, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, that I'm really talking about seeing the Lord with our spiritual eyes. Um, and seeing an example of that. So the reason we're approaching this is, first of all, that it is vital that we have seeing eyes to find the wherewithal to respond to God. You can only go so long just trying to follow a rule or follow a command. Now, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you'll, you'll obey my commandments. But even that comes out of a relationship. It comes out of seeing something in God that gives us the wherewithal to even be able to obey God. A verse that many of us know uh, in Proverbs 29 says, Where there is no revelation, some versions will say vision there, the people cast off restraint. The old King James says the people perish. How many of you know that if you cast off restraint, you will perish because the restraint is the yoke that we're yoked up with Jesus. So where there is no revelation, where there, if you'll allow me, where there is no seeing, the people cast off restraint. If we don't see, if we don't see God, if we don't have with our spiritual eyes get a glimpse of God, we won't have the wherewithal to be obedient, we will cast off restraint. And that's not always just disobedience. That is just not following through because we don't have the impetus. And so Isaiah's vision of the Lord that we're going to read in a moment gives us a model of responding to him and his presence. It's not, I don't know that it's exhaustive, but it certainly gives us a good model of what we do when we see the Lord. And my prayer is that when we're done, or, or by the time we're done, that the Holy Spirit will have set the condition of our hearts where we can see the Lord. Where we can see Him with our spiritual eyes. Where we can see Him with our inner being. Again, it's not enough just to obey principles, although we should. It's not enough just to obey commandments, and we should. It's not enough just to know doctrine. And Lord, help us. We need more, more doctrine and good doctrine. But all of that comes out of having a glimpse of God. 
and a relationship with God. We see in Isaiah 6, if you haven't turned already, you can turn now in your phones or your tablets, or you may even have an actual Bible that you brought in. Uh, we're going to read the, 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 just the first 10 verses uh, of this uh, chapter. If you would stand while we read the Word of God, I'm going to be reading once again from the English Standard Version. And it reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the, the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Your version may even say fat there. And their, their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You can be seated. Some speculate that Isaiah is actually in the temple when he has this vision, and some speculate that he's somewhere else and that he sees in his vision the temple. How many of you know it doesn't matter? What matters is, is that he saw the Lord. And he certainly had a vision. The Bible says no man has seen God and lived. So we know he didn't see God, very God, or he would have died. And we also know that because of what God did with Moses when he put him in the cleft of the rock and turned him around and put his hand over him and then went by him with his back so that, so that uh, Moses could not get the entirety of God's glory. And Moses still came down the mountaintop with white hair. But we know that he saw something. And we know that he marks this in the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was known as a good man. I don't know that we would, uh, how, how uh, high of the, the ladder of righteousness we would put him, but we know that he was generally speaking a good man, but he disobeyed God and he contracted leprosy and ultimately died from leprosy. Some people have speculated that Uzziah was possibly someone that Isaiah had looked up to. Isaiah, at this point of his life, was a very young man. Uh, some have speculated that he had not even begun his prophetic ministry. I'm not so sure that's true, but some have speculated. But a lot of people think that Uzziah was someone in his youth that he had looked up to. And it says, he says, when, Uzziah, when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
And you wonder, why would he write it that way? Why would he he just say, I saw the Lord? But he marked it there. Well, let me just say it this way. It is when King Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord. Let me see if I can word this the best way. Sometimes we have people or things in our lives that we can't, until they go away or die or are removed, we don't really see. All we see is them. We see that person. Maybe we have elevated that person too much. Maybe we have expected that too much. Maybe we thought that they were the only ones that God could speak to us through. And when they're removed, you find yourself saying, wait a minute, Uzziah's not here anymore. Where's God? Where's God? And he says, I see the Lord, or I saw the Lord. He, he says it in past tense. I saw the Lord. There are many instances in the Bible of people seeing a vision of God or something of God. Uh, Exodus 24, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders went up to the mountain. And look at this. And they saw the God of Israel there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. They saw, let me just say something. When you really see God, he's not like everybody else. I know that's the understatement of the century, but we need to remember that. In Revelation, when John is caught up in the spirit in his vision that he ultimately writes down for us, he says, immediately I was in the spirit. I've always marveled that John is on the Isle of Patmos, which means he is incarcerated. He's, he's, he ultimately leaves that island, but he's, he's sitting on this rock under guard, and it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Do you think you could be in the Spirit if someone came and locked you up? I don't know that I could. Anyway, he says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Once again, when we really see God, he's not like anything or anyone else we've ever seen or known. And we can't expect him to be anything but that as the, The seraphim called out, holy, 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 which you could, if you allow me a little bit with the English language, you could say it's different, 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 separate, separate, separate. God's nothing like anything or anyone you know. And so Isaiah sees the Lord and he makes it clear that when he sees him, he is high. Everybody say high. I don't mean on, you know, high and lifted up. High and lifted up. So the first thing I want to say to us is that when we really, everybody say really. When we really see the Lord in our spirit, in our with our spiritual eyes, we will see him high and lifted up. We will see him exalted. How we see him really matters, by the way. How you see the Lord God matters. 
What kind of God do you want? What kind of God do you want that you worship that directs the affairs of your life, that orders your steps? What kind of a God do you want? How many of you ever face issues in life? Now, if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to assume something's wrong with you. Your arm won't work. All of us face issues in life. Life happens. Jesus said, John 16, 33, he said, uh, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus was great about promising good stuff to us. He said, in this world, you will. Everybody say will. That's pretty definite. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. In the Greek, there, the word literally means you will have pressure. You will have pressures. It's the, it's the image of a, of a piece of coal becoming a diamond. It takes pressure to do that. He, so he promises us, thank you, Jesus, that we will have tribulation in this world. Boy, that'd be a downer, wouldn't it? If, un, except that he follows that up by saying, but don't worry. I have overcome the world. I see, I want a God who has overcome the world, who sits on a throne. I don't want a mealy-mouthed God who's in some corner of the universe that I don't even have access to that I've put in my microwave oven and shrunk. Romans 8.37, Paul writes that we face all of these things, distresses, tribulations. He has this list. And if you stopped there, you'd be depressed. But he says, but we are more than conquerors. Now, he didn't eliminate the distresses and the tribulations. See, that's what we want. When we face these things, we want God to take them and move them out of the way. He rarely does that. He does sometimes, but he rarely does that. Usually, he takes us, and the literal term in the original language, he takes us over whatever it is we're facing. He doesn't eliminate it. We gain victory over it. How do we do that? In Christ Jesus. What kind of God do you want? I want a God who's high and lifted up. I want a God who's exalted. It's important that we see him exalted and enthroned. It's important that we see him sitting on a throne. When we, If we're going to see him, we want to see him the way Isaiah saw him, high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. He says his train filled the temple. This is the robe, his robe of royalty, his robe of majesty is filling the temple, his glory. I hope you're seeing a glimpse of God today. He says through the prophet Isaiah in 57, 15, he says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. Where does God live? He lives in eternity. Whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And I also dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. So he can beat beat us down and keep us down forever. No, that's not what it says. Watch this. 
He dwells with those who are of a contrite and lowly spirit so that he can revive. Everybody say revive. revive. Key word here. He can revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. If we're going to relate to God as he is, we must assume a position of contrition and lowliness. Not because we're a worm, not because we're worthless, not because we have no value, but because he is high and lifted up. And if I approach his throne with circumspect, then I have to approach him with contrition and lowliness of heart, knowing that it's his business to revive me, not mine. It's his business to raise me up. Some time ago, we did a whole series on elevation, on that God elevates us to his purpose. And God is in the business of elevating us, but we're in the business of humbling ourselves before the hand of the mighty God. Don't wait for God to humble you. If God's going to humble you, Derek Prince said one time that God can't humble you, but he can humiliate you and make you want to humble yourself. God's a God who allows our free will, and in our free will, we humble ourselves. But in that position, he says, I am the high and lofty one, and I will revive that one who will approach my throne with contrition and lowliness before me. Not that we are worms, it's that he's he's so great. It's not that we're so negative, it's that he's so positive. So you see God? There's an interesting little play in this passage that we actually be, we actually are seeing the Trinity exposed in this passage. And I say I want to do that because I want us to see God in his entirety and in all of his glory. In in 610, it says, Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And we go to the New Testament and we find out that this is the Lord Jesus talking. Because John, in writing about the Lord Jesus, says this, Then these things Isaiah said, and of course he had just gotten through quoting this verse, These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. And if you go back and look at that in context, the his and the him is referring to the Lord Jesus. And so by prop, by definition, we see that the words in Isaiah 6.10 are actually attributed to the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. Not only that, uh, which, which by the way, may be why we see in verse 5, Isaiah says, my eyes have seen the King. King of kings, Lord of lords. Not only that, though, in 610, Paul attributes these words to the Holy Spirit. Acts 28, 25, it says, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. And then he quotes verse 10. So here we have the Holy Spirit providing the words of Isaiah 610. And John says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John says, these words were spoken and attributed to the Lord Jesus. Y'all know that Jesus didn't just begin to exist on Christmas Day. 
He was around a lot longer before Christmas Day. In the beginning, that's right. That's right. Y'all got it, and we'll be dismissed. (laughs) I like it that you get it. 6-1, in 6-1, the word God or Lord is the word Adonai, which means master or owner. Adonai is a is an intensive form of a word that references our glorious Lord in all of his powers and all of his attributes. Adonai. And what's interesting in verse 3 and then again in verse 5, he goes back to his name, Yahweh. If Adonai in verse 1, you have Yahweh in verse 3 and verse 5. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making sure we get it. We see God in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, in all of his greatness, and we see God in his name, Yahweh. God is salvation. Look at the response of the seraphim. I mean, I I can't figure all that stuff out, but one part I did see was they put their hands over their eyes. Why would they put their hands over their eyes? Well, they're in the presence of God. Do you remember what he did to Moses? He put his hand over him. They're covering their eyes because of the glory and the greatness of the God that they're in the presence of. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Oh, boy, I was going to go down another road, but I'm going to leave it alone. So we see God high and lifted up. And then then what we see is a contrast of God's holiness and our earthiness. A contrast because Isaiah says, oh, my goodness, I'm in the presence of a king. Oh, my goodness, I'm lost. Oh, my goodness, I'm a man of unclean lips. Again, we're talking about contrast. Now, here's a guy who's a prophet, called to be a prophet of God, writes some of the most prophetic words that's ever been written in the Bible, prophesies Jesus 700 years before he comes, so much so that parts of the of the book of Isaiah, we're told by some of the Jewish brethren, that they were taught not to read that part because it sounds too much like the New Testament. And yet he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man who's lost. What, what's the difference? The difference is the view of God compared to the view of himself. An accurate view of the Lord is it causes us to see our humanity. It's not that we feel bad about ourselves. It's that we feel great about him. I hope you're seeing that. It's not that we put ourselves down. It's that we exalt him. If you exalt him, then you've humbled yourself. Mm. By the way, without the input of the scriptures, we can never have a proper view of God. 
If you want to, if you want to see the Lord, you it's it's a requirement. Everybody say requirement, requirement. for you to look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures say about God, and, and just see what God says about Himself. I mean, we just read one verse where He says, "I'm I'm high and lofty one. I'm high and lifted up." I've quoted my friend from Louisiana often who said, I looked at God and I looked at me and we were nothing alike. <laughs> now, I know we're being formed into the image of Jesus Christ, but the fact is, if today you looked at God in all of his regalness, in all of his majesty, in all of his holiness, in all of his exalted nature, and you looked at yourself, you would have to say, you're nothing alike. Peter, in in Luke 5, Jesus gets in Peter's boat and he says, drop your nets. He said, wait a minute, guy. We're professional fishermen. We know what we're doing. You may know something about that Torah and you may know something about t- preaching and teaching, but we're fishermen. We fished all night long. We hadn't caught anything. But if you want us to, we're going to drop our net. They dropped their net. I mean, he, he said, we haven't caught anything all night long. I mean, anybody goes fishing, at least catch a minnow. <laughs> we haven't caught anything. And yet, Jesus said, put your net on that side of the boat. They hauled in so many fish. They had to call uh, James and John over to help them. And it liked to sunk both boats with the amount of fish. What, would, what did Peter do? Peter looked at Jesus and said, Something's up here. And he fell on his knees in the boat. And he said, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. When we really see God, there should be some measure of that in our response. Not, I mean, not that, hey, God, get out of here. I'm afraid you're going to kill me. But we don't fit by the way, the word integrity, this is added, it's not in my notes, and I'm not going to charge you any extra. The word integrity is when things or people integrate. And when you, by the work of the Holy Spirit, are able to in- integrate with God, you have integrity. How's it feel to be an integer? <laughs> Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Why did he say that? He saw. He saw what nobody else saw, but he saw. And, he, and Isaiah cries out, I'm guilty. There's a problem here. And then the Bible says a seraphim goes to the altar, grabs a coal. It's hot. Uh, this is one of the times when we know it's most likely a vision. Because <laughs> if it's real, I mean, you know, hot lips, Houlihan would have nothing on Isaiah. <laughs> For those of you MASH fans. It says it took, went and grabbed the coal and touched his lips. And it says, Scripture says, he touched my mouth and he said, behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Don't miss that the coal 
came from the altar. The altar of sacrifice. Don't miss that there was worship taking place in this vision around the altar. And from the altar, he found his guilt removed. Now, I want to submit something to you. And you can throw rocks at me or debate me. You're not going to debate me long because I don't debate much. Is it possible that that coal is a type of the Lord Jesus? Is it possible that we see the Lord Jesus, as Kevin so aptly described before, we see the Lord Jesus on the sacrificial altar we call the cross, becoming that piece of coal by which we could be touched by the Lord and have our guilt removed. Well, we'll just let that sit there for a while. His guilt was removed. And it said, your sin is atoned for, which is even more of a reason that I see it possibly as a type of Lord Jesus. Because he's the one, as you heard described earlier, who atoned for our sin. He didn't, and I've told you this numerous times, but he didn't just take an eraser and remove our sin. That would violate the just nature of God. He didn't just pretend that we had no sin. He didn't just close his eyes and put his head into the ground and pretend we had no sin, but he atoned. Everybody say atoned. He atoned for your sin. He made it right. And then the very next thing happens. When God cleanses us, he calls us. He says, in verse 8, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? How many of you know God knew the answer to that? Whom shall, and, and the interesting thing, if you have a New King James Version or a New American Standard Bible or maybe some others that I'm not thinking about, probably Holman, Christian Standard. Anyway, the us in that verse is capitalized. It's like, let us make man in our image. It's like at the Tower of Babel, let us go down and confuse their language. Who will go for us, can I tell you that God's always looking for someone to go? He's always looking. And can I tell you that when God cleanses us and atones for our sin, that's not the end of the story. And I said last week that heaven is not the goal. We're going to heaven. We're going to die and go. That is our destination, ultimately, at some point. But it's not the goal. But the goal is the kingdom of God coming to the earth. And so when our guilt is removed and our lips are cleaned and we're, we're ready to go and God says, whom shall go? And we say, send me. Then we're ready to go do whatever it is that he has assigned us to do. Who's going to go? The only real response 
to Jesus cleaning you up and removing your guilt is that you say, here am I, send me. I've often, when I've referred to this scripture and you've heard me uh, in the, in the, you know, when, when our grandchildren were small, you well, know, they still have small ones, but when our older grandchildren were small, we have 16, by the way. <laughs> There's four of them right there. We watch Shrek a lot. A lot. Little ones. It doesn't bother them to watch it and then watch it again and watch it again and watch it again. It doesn't bother them. If you have the DVD of Shrek in the menu screen where you can click play or special features and those kinds of things, if you sit there long enough, the donkey, whose voice is Eddie Murphy, the only time Eddie Murphy's ever spoken without profanity, The donkey jumps up in the air, says, pick me, pick me. And you're supposed to click on him. I don't think I ever have. But when I see this passage, I don't know what Isaiah was seeing. I don't, I really don't know if he thought there was people around him. I don't know. But I see him jumping up into the air and saying, here am I, pick me. Here am I, send me. What was he responding to? He he saw the Lord. He wasn't just responding to a request. He wasn't just responding to God saying, who's going to go? He's responding to this God that he sees who's high and lifted up and exalted and enthroned. Yeah, I want to go. Who wouldn't want to go? I read about the new coach of the Carolina Panthers, used to coach Baylor, and someone said they watched his interview the other day and said, man, I'd run through a wall for that guy. You'll see a coach tomorrow night like that. You can pick which one. (laughs) But when you see, when these football players have a coach like that, they'll do anything. They'll kill themselves to to please that coach. When you see God in all his regal and his majesty and his exalted nature, when you really see him, you'll do anything for God. It won't be, oh, God, i got to do that. Oh, I got to go there. Oh, I got to fast and pray for 30 days and pray for people. Oh, my word. I ought to be a saint. Bernard. He said, here am I, send me. And that was in light of seeing the Lord and having his guilt removed. Really seeing the Lord. I'm not going to spend any very much time on this, but then the message that he has him go send, it's kind of confusing. It sounds like he says, go tell those people, don't bother. Don't, go, don't bother. Go, go tell those people, I hope you don't get saved. And, well, we know God well enough to know that can't be what he was saying. And, you know, there are many ways to approach this, but I'm going to tell you the main thrust of that message was this. That... An unresponsive heart will harden to the word of God. If we have chosen to be unresponsive, the truth 
will cause us to harden our hearts. It's funny that the very same word, the very same message that will cause a heart to harden, that same message will soften a heart that is receptive and willing to say, here am I, send me, pick me. Same message. The condition of our heart is going to determine whether we hear and see. The condition of your heart, the condition of my heart, will determine whether I can really see God. I said last week that we some people uh, divide secular and then religious, and I said that both of them are of the devil. Well, obviously, we religious is of the devil because it gets us trapped into well, what's the next rule I got to follow. What's the next thing? What's the next uh, principle I've got to make sure I line up with? Religion will keep you from seeing God. And it'll cause you to think you're obeying God and you're doing God's work. And God's work, he doesn't need you to do it. He wants you to do it. But what he really needs and what you need is, is the life that comes from you seeing him and touching him by the Holy Spirit and relating to him as a person. Everything God has done and everything he has set up in his economy of life is intended to draw us to him. Not to his rules, not to his principles. Now you say, you sure are knocking those things. I'm telling you that they have no value if we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No value. If we do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they have enormous value. Why do you think I, we spend so much time reading this book and trying to figure out what God's saying to us? Why do we look at this book and, and we say, I don't get it. Oh, I do get it. What happened? We saw something by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. If you see something as a rule or a regulation or just a principle and a doctrine, you're not going to have much willingness or ability to do what it says. But when you see it by the Holy Spirit, you have all you need. He says if they, if they do hear and they do understand, they'll turn and be healed. Obviously, that covers and encompasses the whole gamut of being healed, physically, spiritually, emotionally, everything that we need. Being healed just simply means making something right, making it the way it's supposed to be instead of the way it is. And all of that, all that comes out of our seeing the Lord and seeing him the way Isaiah did. You say, well, I, I, I'm not asking, I'm not suggesting, let me say it that way. I'm not suggesting today that any of us would have a vision like Isaiah did. I'm also not suggesting that we won't. What I am suggesting is that whether it's a, the type of vision that Isaiah had or whether it's just something we see in our mind's eye through the Holy Spirit, that all of us can and will and should see the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple.
all of us can do that. And when we do, then we will have the fuel. We will have the wherewithal to go do what he's assigned us to do. And he'll say, okay, I pick you. Here's the, and we use the term plow handles. We did it last week. Here's the plow that I want you to take the handles and start plowing. Well, I like that, that where they're plowing. It has nothing to do with you. You plow right here. Well, I like it over there, but plow right here. Let them plow there. You plow right here. One of the problems we get into is we try to plow in other people's fields. We don't have the grace. We don't have the ability to do it. But we do have the grace and the ability to plow where God assigns us. Having been a product of the 70s, we used to have a button that said, Bloom where you're planted. Kind of hard to bloom anywhere else. If you say, pick me, then go where he sends you. Amen. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone, including myself, under the sound of my voice, that we would see you. Many of us have seen you already. Lord, intensify our vision. Lord, that you would continue to expose yourself to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And let us see you in all of your greatness, in all of your majesty, in all of your exalted nature. Let us see your train filling the temple. Let us see the glory of God above everything else. So that we will have a God who is exalted over our issues. You promised us, Lord Jesus, we'd have trouble, but you also promised us that we shouldn't worry about that because you have overcome the world. You promised us that we would have issues, but you also promised us through your apostle that we are more than conquerors because we have a God who's high and lifted up and seated on the throne. Open our eyes, Lord. As we look into the scriptures, open our eyes. Let us see what you want us to see. And then let us respond to your your call by saying, here am I, send me. And then go do whatever it is you've empowered us to do for your kingdom and for you. We bless your name today. We pray that we have offered praise and worship to you today that would bring glory and honor to your throne and to your name. And that our lives would be a continual act of worship before you. I thank you today and I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, God bless you.